We need you to move it over to ours by picking up the phone and calling us at 1-888-MONEYPIT because that's what we do. We're here to give you some tips, some advice, to coach you, to talk to you about whether or not you should do it yourself or not. If you've got a fix-up, you've got an improvement you want to make, you've got a decor dilemma, you hate the colors, you're stuck inside all winter long and you want to change it up, whatever's on that dream list of yours for your house, give us a call at 1-888-MONEYPIT or post your questions to moneypit.com. Coming up in today's show, now that we are knee-deep in winter, adding more insulation is pretty much the single most cost-effective way to cut heating costs and improve comfort. But there are so many options in insulation today. We're going to help you identify the one that is perfect for your home. And are you tired of feeling, well, tired? You know, winter blues can bring you down this time of year, but we've got some easy do-it-yourself pick-me-ups for your home that will help raise your spirit and make your home look great in just a bit. And it's an age-old dilemma. When your appliances break down, do you fix them or do you replace them all together? We've got a cheat sheet that we put together to help you save money by telling you how to make the right choice. But first, we want to know what you want to know. So give us a call. Let us know what you are working on or maybe what you're thinking about working on or planning for this new year in your home. So give us a call. We're here to help at 888-MONEY-PIT. 888-666-3974. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Renee in Texas, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Yes, mine is kind of like a double question. I have a uh, about a 30-year-old connected on both sides townhome, two levels. Okay, okay. And I heard a crack uh, a couple months back where you know it's one of the support beams, and it just, like a big, strong branch, just cracked. Huh. Did you actually see the the cracked beam somewhere? No, I didn't see that, but I have begun to have cracks along on that same side of the house. Okay. um, Okay. In the corners of the wall. Okay. In the uh, the corners where it's breaking apart. But at the same time, I've noticed that the house has become unlevel, and that's a little part because it's all old and it's connected on both sides, but I'm in Texas, and we have big droughts, and it kind of shifts a little bit. Okay. My concern is is when I get the support beam fixed and the foundation fixed, I've seen on the DYI shows that suddenly they go back and they look, and the house or the chimney has just been trashed. What can I do to, to prevent that? Why do you say it's been trashed? Because it shifted. Right when they did the when they put in when I've watched the DYI shows, they go and they fix the foundation. The foundation's fine, and of course they shift everything up. And now yeah. there's. That's why big- you have to be very very careful when you do anything that changes the angle that the house is sort of settled into. Because if you if you don't, once you bring a foundation up, everything else moves. You know, in a wood house. 
if you try to straighten a slopey floor, for example, all the wires and the plumbing can get stretched and twisted and so on. So it's you know not just uh, foundations that are of concern. I'm concerned, though, about this crack that you say that you've heard, but you've seen cracks in your walls, but you've not physically seen the structural crack, correct? Correct. All right. Now, you said it's a townhouse. Is there an association? that? Yes. Okay. So in an association form of ownership, typically you don't own the structure. So the structure, if the structure was to fail, that's typically the responsibility of the association to address. Is that is that your understanding? Um, I can double check on that. But in a typical condominium form of ownership, what you own is inside walls to inside wall. In some cases, you own the... Sh- and then what's the dry- beyond that wall is not Right. Yours. In some cases, you own the drywall. In some cases, you don't. So, for example, if there was a fire, God forbid, and the whole place burned down, you would be paying for, like, the drywall, the kitchen cabinets, the appliances, stuff like that, and the association would be rebuilding everything else, including the related infrastructure. So you need to figure out if there's a structural problem, who's responsible for it? I suspect you're going to find it's the association that's responsible for it, which is good news for you. Uh, and then I would bring that to their attention and ask them to address it. Now, as far as the cracks in the corners of the wall are concerned, I have to tell you that that's pretty typical, and that it by itself doesn't necessarily mean that you have a structural problem. The way to fix that, though, uh, is important, and that is that you want to sand down the drywall in that area, and then you want to add some additional tape. And the type of drywall tape you use would be the perforated type. It looks like a netting. It's like a sticky netting. You put that on, and then you spackle through that three coats, one, two, three coats, each one thin, but three coats. And that type and allowing of, each one to dry and be sanded in between. Yeah, and that type of repair typically will last. Now, after you do the spackle repair, you'll have to prime the wall. You can't just paint on top of it. You'll have to prime it and then paint it. So I would address the structure with the association. I would fix the cracks on your own and then see what happens. Okay. Um, so just one more question. Let's say that if it's not in association that I do have to go into it, not only am I concerned about my roof, but how much of a problem will I have with my neighbors on both sides of me? Depends on where the crack is, if it exists at all. If that's, if that's the case, then I would suggest you hire a professional home inspector and have the inspector do what's called a partial inspection, which is usually a single-item inspection, and investigate this crack and see what's going on in the structure, and then we'll know um, how you know far it's gone and what needs to be done about it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your time. Mark in Florida, you've got the money, but how can we help you today? Well, I am um, going to be putting down an engineered hardwood floor. Okay. And I've got the manufacturer's instructions, and I'm going to tell you, the tolerances for the floor are really tight. They want the floor, this is a plywood subfloor, off-grade house, they want the floor to be no more than three-sixteenths of an inch over ten feet or an eighth of an inch over six feet deflection. I haven't seen a house yet that has that little deflection, right? <laughs> I know, exactly, yes. Anyway, my question is, uh, I've taken a 10-foot 2-by-8 and okay. confirmed it was straight and put it over the floor, and I've got a Sharpie, and I'm kind of marking off what is within tolerance, and there are some sections that there are what's not intolerance. So my question to you is, how do you meet that specification that they call out for. Uh, for instance, some of the some of the low-bearing walls, you can see where the, the subfloor is actually dipped down from the weight of the home. The house is about 23 years old. 
And I'm just wondering, how do you meet that? It's uh, it's extremely tight. How close are you, Mark? Um, it depends. Uh, some of the areas, um, we're talking probably half, maybe a half inch in some of the bad places. Um, okay, so what you want to do, do in those areas, you're going to fill in with a floor leveling compound. You don't have to do the entire floor. But if you have the areas that are really down, you can fill those in. The thing here is you want it to be reasonably flat. And the reason it wants to be reasonably flat is because with an engineered hardwood floor, the panels lock together. You know, I've got an 1886 house. And I put in uh, laminate floor when it sort of first came on the market. And this is similar to the engineered hardwood floor, um, except that when laminate floor first came on, you had to glue it together. It didn't lock together. And so I was able to glue this together. It actually worked in my favor because by gluing it together, it had a lot more ability to stretch and bend and twist over my very roly-poly floors. But if you're just going to rely on the joint of the hardwood floor to lock together, then you can't really stress it that much. If you try to twist it, it could crack or pop up. And so what I would do is I would get floor leveling compound. DAP makes one that works very well. It's called Flexible Floor Patch and Leveler. And so if you go to the DAP website at dap.com, D-A-P.com, just uh, search for the Flexible Floor Patch. You'll see a picture of it there. You know exactly what you're looking for. And then you can order that. Uh, from, I'm sure, your home center, your hardware store, or find it online. And that's designed specifically to work on wood floors or under wood floors and, and level them out. On subfloors, especially. Okay. Well, great. Thank you very much. I really enjoy your show and look forward to maybe meeting the two of you one day. Oh, thanks. Now we've got Carol on the line from Oregon. How can we help you today? Well, I've got a problem I should know better, but I have rented to people with who brought in a puppy. Okay. And oh, now I've got to deal with lots of uh, urine, fecal. It's damage uh, that's probably been on there too long, too deep, gone through the carpet to the pad to the subfloor. So uh, my question is, can the stain ever be removed? I'm thinking I should just take everything up. Um, my question would be what to put down new, replace the subfloor, solution, like people said something about kills and something like Z-Mix or something like well, that. Well, I mean, it really depends. If, if you even want to attempt salvaging the rug that's there, I mean, generally with a rental situation, you're probably better off with a tile or a laminate floor just because of cleanability and mm-hmm. then let the folks bring in their own area rugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to attempt to sort of get the stain away, get the odor away, there's a product that I used when I was training our dog who was untrainable for the first year. And it's on a website called Just Right, and it's R-I-T-E dot com. And it's called 123 Odor Free. And it's like a series of different products. One's a stain remover. One's an odor remover. And it sort of neutralizes through enzymes. And there's like an injector that you use to get through the carpet and into the padding and into the subfloor. And I kid you not, it works because there was a spot at the top of the steps that Daisy just loved and no problems to this day. So... You might want to try that. However, if there is a lot of stuff to deal with, your best bet is probably to just pull everything off. And you're right about wanting to seal that subfloor because if you don't put, you know, a primer, a good one on top of it, whatever you put on top, get a humid day and you're going to notice it. Yeah. So that's why, Carol, what you want to do is use an oil-based primer like a Kills 
uh, or a bin. There are a number of different you know, primers out there, but I would use the oil-based ones for a problem like this because they're going to do a better job of sealing in odor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if I do decide to put down a rug, because this is a house I would like to sell future forward, it's a nice house, uh, is there a type of rug that... Uh, can better be cleaned. Okay, yeah, it, it is from Mohawk, and it's a carpet that they call Smart Strand, and it's got built-in stain and soil resistant that's never, never, never going to wear off or wash off or clean off, and it feels soft, and it's environmentally friendly because it's made in part with, you know, like a recycled plastic, and uh, I think it was last year at the Builder Show, Tom and I were at the event, and they were just launching this Smart Strand product, and they had taken you know, carpeting and carpeted the pen of an elephant at the zoo and left it in there for a year and then took it off, cleaned it and like, you know, brought a patch in and like had half under the cover of glass and half out. And there was like a little door that you could open up to the dirty side. And like you open that up. And of course, I didn't smell because I always do strange things like that. And uh, it like reeked horribly, and the side that was cleaned was beautiful, clean, soft, smelled fantastic. So I'm not really sure about the price point, but it is an amazing product, and it's available, you know, in a lot of different looks, different piles. So I I would start with Mohawk there, Smart Strand. Okay, thank you so much. Well, the days are shorter and colder, which for a lot of people brings on a touch of the winter blues. And there are reasons to smile, though, you guys, because studies show that a few easy changes that you can make to your living space can totally spruce up your home and lift your spirits. Now, for starters, turn on the lights. It sounds simple, but improved lighting can actually make you feel better, especially this time of year when darkness sets in so early. This was a project I took on in my workshop, Leslie. I did not realize how dim the fluorescent lights were in my shop. And that's a place you need good lighting. Oh, my gosh. Until I replaced them all with LEDs. And now it is literally twice as bright, which means it looks twice as dirty, but that's another thing. <laughs> so it's a good time of year for stepping up the lighting that you do have or adding additional lighting. If you want to add some lamps or some sconces or stepping up your bulbs, it can really make a big difference. Mm-hmm. You know what else works really nicely is think about planting an indoor garden. Now, colorful flowers or herbs, they really do go a long way that spring is not that far off, guys. So you need to be reminded that spring is coming. You just want to make sure to choose a location that gets plenty of sunlight since most of these veggies do need as much as six hours of direct sunlight each day to grow and thrive. You can also add some pick-me-ups for your front door or your entrance way. I mean, that creates a great first impression. It can definitely lift your spirits before you even step foot inside. You can polish the hardware. You can swap out doormats. These are kind of small changes that can go away. You could think about peening the door, adding a new door. It gives you a whole new sense of freshness for your space. And don't forget, guys, your sense of smell. It really does so much to invigorate your spirit when you smell something that smells delicious and wonderful. And citrus scents are the best. They can energize, rejuvenate, even jasmine and grapefruit. Those ease depression and ease sadness. Think about using oils, incense, candles. All of those can add aromas to your living space. I mean, so many people are using this aromatherapy with those oils, and it really has a lot of benefits. So don't shy away from your sense of smell. It can help change your attitude a lot. That is so true. I never would have thought that there is a relaxing smell, but some of those aroma (laughs) oils... It does. It's true. It does relax you. Definitely need to relax 
especially if home improvement is stressing you out. But it doesn't have to. Give us a call right now with your home improvement questions at one eight 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 Money Pit. We are standing by to help. Corinne in Alaska is on the line and has a question about real estate value. Tell us about it. I live in an older condo, the wood fireplace. Um, okay. Would a wood fireplace be more um, have more resale value, or would a freestanding stove? I, I think a fireplace probably would uh, have more value, and it certainly might make the place more attractive to most buyers who make more emotional decisions than practical decisions. Well, and I think from a decorating standpoint, I know that freestanding wood stoves, to me, while, yes, they create a cozy little seating area, sometimes they pose like a ginormous decorating dilemma. Well, true, because they just have to be out there in the middle of everything. So how do you work around that? And they're usually a certain color, and it's not the easiest thing to paint or change the look of. Yeah, so I would stay with the fireplace. Wood stoves are more efficient. But I wouldn't replace it if you're getting ready to sell the house. I would keep the fireplace. I think, you know, if you did something to, to dress up the fireplace, if you needed it with new mantle, that kind of thing, you know, cleaning up brick, whatever, just make it look good. I would just stop right there. I, I don't think putting the wood stove in is going to be something that you'll get a return on that investment from, Corrine. Okay, great. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Eric in Alaska is on the line with an insulation question. Tell us about it. I have a... Uh, call space, um, and I'm trying to figure out what the best way to keep the temperature a little bit warmer than it is down there and to keep my floors in the home from getting so cold. I've got um, hardwood ceramic tile floors. Okay. And my uh, all of my plumbing is in the crawl space. My pressure tank is down there. So I need to keep the temperature somewhat warm down there so I don't freeze my pipes up. Okay, how much insulation do you have in the floor uh, above the crawl space area now? Is it completely filled? Oh, you have none. Well, see, now there would be a good place to start, Mm -hmm. Eric. And that's going to make a huge difference. (laughs) So what you want to do there is if you have, uh, let's just say your your floor joists are 2 by 10s then you're going to use 10 inches of insulation. You want to fill up that entire cavity with insulation. You can use unfaced fiberglass bats. The first place you insulate is the box joist. That's around the outside perimeter. And then you work your way in to the floor joist. You can use insulation hangers to hold it in place. And that's going to make an enormous difference warming up that floor. You may find that the crawl space becomes a bit warmer as a result of that, or you may find it becomes colder because now the heat from upstairs is not getting down there. Is there a concern of water pipes or anything like that freezing? Yeah, that's what my concern is. If I insulate the floor there, you know, my pressure tank and all of my plumbing fixtures and drains are all down there. You don't have to worry about the drains freezing, okay? They're never going to hold enough water to freeze and break. As far as the plumbing pipes are concerned, if you do have pipes that are below the insulation, if they're in the insulation, you don't have to worry about it. If they're below the insulation, then you can insulate those themselves with uh, insulation sleeves that just fit around them and it taped off. So insulate the pipes, insulate the floor joists, And I think you're going to find it's a lot more comfortable as a result. Well, did you know that adding insulation is the single most effective way that you can cut your heating costs and improve your home's comfort? 
Well, there are several different types of insulation that you've got to choose from. Each of them have their own benefits and their own applications, and it really depends on where you're putting it, what type of home, the age of the home, and what stage of construction your home is in. So, you got to think about a couple of things when you're deciding that you want to add insulation. First of all, where are you putting it? Is it needed? How are you installing it? All of those things are really going to determine the best type of insulation that's going to work for your project. And then you've got to think about where you live in this country because that's going to determine what that recommended R value is, which really means how much insulation you need to keep your home nice and cozy. R stands for resistance to heat loss, which basically is a thick blanket, right? So the higher the R, the more insulation value you're going to get. So let's look at the most common types. Fiberglass bats, of course, the most common, great for unfinished walls, including foundations and floors and ceilings. It's a do-it-yourself product. These bats are, are easily, these bats are suited for studs. These bats are basically cut to fit between studs and joists, so the spacing is easy to do, very inexpensive. You can add it to existing insulation as well. Now, another option is cellulose, or you can call it loose fill insulation, and that's really best for enclosed existing wall cavities. Now, it gets blown into place. They use special equipment, or sometimes it's even poured in, but you've got to be really careful that it's done by a pro because you have to make sure that it's put in equally, evenly, not too much pressure on certain parts of the wall board in between the studs. Otherwise, it could be, you know, you could have some voids where it's not quite in. It could put too much pressure and start to pull that wallboard away. So you've got to make sure that a pro does it well. There are some people that do rent the tools for this, but I always think this type of blown in the insulation is really best for the pros, right? Yeah, you know why? Because when they do this type of insulation, they always scan your walls and your ceilings with an infrared camera, and that will tell them where the cold spots are because sometimes you can miss an area because the framing is such that it blocks the flow of that insulation. You may have to put it in an extra hole, but you wouldn't know that without that type of equipment. Now, aside from cellulose and fiberglass, another type that's gaining a lot of popularity is called stone wool. It's kind of an upgrade to the old rock wool insulation, but they left the asbestos out this time. That was one of the reasons we hated that stuff when it was put in the early parts of the century. Stonewheel, though, is awesome. It's very fire resistant, and it's also a very good sound barrier. I did a video once, and I think it's still on moneypit.com, where with the Roxel insulation people, where I was on a really noisy trade show floor, and they had basically created kind of like, it looked like a bit of a hallway, not even with doors or, window, or windows that were closing it off, but kind of a just an archway with this insulation was added. And man, when you walked into it, Leslie, it sounded like we were walking into a studio. It got so quiet. I mean, that's really fantastic. It really does make such a difference from a comfort level, from a sound level, from an energy efficiency level. So it's totally worth it to re-insulate or add insulation if you're finding that you've got a void or your bills are too expensive. I mean, it does so much. And finally, no discussion of insulation would be complete without mentioning spray foam insulation, which is a product that I personally added to my 1886 house. We had occasion to do this because we were doing a roof at the same time. and It just made sense. And I got to tell you, it made a huge difference in our heating bills. In fact, uh, when I got the, every quarter, the uh, energy company sends me a report of how we compared with the neighborhood and where we used to be average. All of a sudden, we went down to using far less energy than a lot of the similar houses in our area. So it's a great option for open walls or unfinished attics, either in new construction or reconstruction. It also expands when it gets applied, so it seals out drafts as well. So there are the basic types of insulation, and I'll tell you, if you've been paying high 
energy bills this winter, you ought to be looking at at least one of these. Even if you just, say, double up the insulation in your attic by adding another layer of fiberglass, it really makes a big difference, and you will see a very quick result in the reduction of those heating costs and the increase in the comfort you feel in the house. All right, now we're heading over to Patty in Illinois, who's got a toilet that is running constantly. Tell us what's going on. Well, it doesn't run constantly, but it runs about five seconds, you know, several times an hour. And it's gone to the point that uh, my water bill has gone up quite a bit. And I'm needing to know if I need a new toilet or if I need new seals or a new handle pump or what would you think? It's actually an easy fix. And I mean, this tends to happen kind of regularly. You know, unfortunately, people don't realize that there's actually some level of toilet maintenance because, you know, it's just an appliance in your house that's there and you use it and you expect it to work. But inside the tank itself, there's a fill and a flush valve. And those need to be replaced not that often, but, you know, every couple of years or so. And, of course, now that you're dealing with this water running issue. Um, Tom, is it Fluid Master? Yeah, Fluid Master is sort of a mainstay of, uh, of replacement valve parts. And, you know, they just wear out, Patty, over, over time. So this is a pretty easy fix. And, I mean, it's probably 10 bucks to get both of them. But if you go to Fluid Master's website, the only reason I recommend that is because on their website, they've got a really great how-to video. So you can actually see what the fill valve is, what the flush valve, the flapper valve. So you know exactly what you're looking at and how to replace it. And it's a really easy do-it-yourself project that you can, you know, do confidently and, you know, definitely decrease your water bill. Thank you. That that sounds wonderful. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for uh, taking my call. Love your show. You're very welcome, Patty. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Well, not to be a glass-half-empty kind of guy, but hey, do you ever look around your house and wonder which appliance will be the first to break down? Because, you know... <laughs> They don't last forever, Leslie. That's true, but that's such a pessimistic way to be, Tom. I hope this doesn't I mean, I try break to be today. prepared. I try to be prepared because, listen, if anything breaks down in my house, you know who's going to get the call. That's true. <laughs> and also, if things break down in my house, I'm also going to call you. Exactly. <laughs> well, guys, you know, most appliances do have an average lifespan of, say, 10 to 20 years, which I know is kind of big, but it really varies per appliance. So unless it's covered by a warranty, at some point, you are going to have to decide whether that appliance is worth fixing or if it's time to just suck it up and buy a new one. Well, we do have a way to help. There's a formula we developed that will allow you to tip the scales one way or the other. It takes the age of the appliance and its original cost, and it weighs that against the cost of repairing it. It's a chart. It's on moneypit.com. And here's how you might use it. Say, for example, you have a three-year-old refrigerator. It breaks down. The cost of repairing it is, say, 2000 bucks. Well, it's probably not worthwhile because that repair cost is more than 40% of what you paid for it just three years ago. So in that case, replacing it is a much better bet. Now, the numbers are going to really vary by appliance type. Microwaves, they're cheap, so they quickly become candidates for just replacing rather than repairing. Dryers, on the other hand, they're kind of expensive, so they're worth spending, you know, maybe a few hundred dollars to fix unless you've really got your eye on a super cool new dryer. Then I totally support buying a new dryer. You can get the entire cheat sheet of when and whether to repair or replace your broken appliances on our website at moneypit.com. James in Minnesota, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? I bought a house about a year ago, and I don't know how old the water heater is because it was a foreclosure. And I had gone downstairs and took the cover off and turned up a little bit to try to get a little more hot water out of it temperature-wise. And I noticed on the inside 
that it seems wet, like the uh, fiberglass insulation on the tank. So I was wondering if that means, like, the tank is going bad, or do I need to start saving money to buy a new water heater? The water heater's in your basement? Yeah, it's in my basement, correct. You know, sometimes you get a little condensation inside of that. Uh, does your water stay hot, or does you does it seem to run out quickly? No, it stays hot for a while. It's just not as hot as I like it. So I, I just went down to dial it up a little, and I saw it was wet inside. And I don't see anything leaking from the bottom. Okay, well, generally when water heaters leak, everybody knows it, okay? It's not It's yeah. not subtle. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, good. so I doubt it's, a, I doubt it's, it's leaking um, badly right now. You may have a bit of condensation in there. Uh, however, what you want to keep in mind with electric water heaters is that, first of all, they're very expensive to run, and so it's a good idea to have a timer on them. Secondly, with an electric water heater, there's two coils, not just one, so... On the exterior of your water heater, you should see two panels, one up high and one down low. And each one of those has its own thermostat. And so in order to adjust the temperature, you have to open both of them up. And with a screwdriver, an insulated screwdriver, you turn it very carefully until it's about 110 degrees on both of them. And okay. with a 40 or 50-gallon water heater, how many bedrooms, I mean, how many bathrooms do you have in the house? Two. So 40-gallon would be smallish, maybe adequate. 50-gallon would definitely be good. Uh, if you're wondering the age of it, on the, uh, on the label, on the water heater, there's generally a date that's either written plainly on that or it's coded into the serial number. So if you look at the serial number, you look at the date, you may see a date on there, and you can figure out how old this is. Okay, great. Thanks so much. You're welcome, James. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You can call us 24-7 at one Money Pit. If we are not in the studio, we'll call you back the next time we are. Or you can post your questions to our website at MoneyPit.com. Now, John from Pennsylvania did just that. Yeah, John's writing, is there a way to keep snow from forming at the edge of my roof and collapsing the gutters? Now, it seems like collapsing the gutters could be like the least of your problems in this situation, right? Well, it does. And and here's why. And he may not even realize this, Leslie, but if you're getting snow that forms at the edge of the roof, that's not so much snow because as it builds up, it becomes what we call an ice dam. Mm-hmm. And it's literally a mound of ice. And the reason it's a problem is because... Heat rises, right? So the heat in your house is going to rise up through your ceiling, through the insulation, even if you've got decent insulation, and it gets up and it heats up the upper parts of the underside of your attic, right? And then that makes that snow on the roof melt and then run down the roof towards the edge of the gutters. Now, at that point, what does it hit? It hits the dam that's been forming. And why does it form there? Because if you think about it, that overhang section, right, that's not over an attic. That's ambient temperature. So it's always going to be colder there, giving it the opportunity to freeze and build up. So now in John's case, it sounds like it's busting up his gutters. But the problem is that that water can then do a U-turn 
to start working its way back under the shingles. And I don't care if you've got like a 45-degree 12-on-12 roof. That water will go right back under the shingles and it will leak inside your house. So how do you stop that? Well, first of all, you make sure you have enough insulation. And if you don't have 20 or 30 inches of, of at least fiberglass bats in that attic, add another layer or two. Please, unfaced fiberglass. It's inexpensive. It's easy to install. If you don't want to do it yourself, call Home Advisor, have them send a contractor over you know, to, to get this job done. Uh, secondly, you want to make sure that your ventilation at that overhang is not blocked because you want to make sure that that cold air can come up in the soffits and get up under the roof sheathing and exit at the ridge because the attic is not supposed to be warm. It's supposed to be the same temperature as the outside and that, that ventilation is going to help keep it dry because if the insulation gets damp, it also is not as effective. Now, thirdly, you could consider if it's a really bad problem putting heating cables at the roof edge, which you could control with a timer or just an on-off problem is those are really expensive to run. I got to tell you, it's like straight resistance heat. So if you want to go that route, it's got to be a real temporary fix. But the worst problem is that ice damming. And unfortunately, that's also the hardest to fix. If you still get ice damps after you have the insulation and the ventilation fixed, what you're going to need to do, and you'll probably wait till the next time you replace your roof to do this, is you need to put a material called ice and water shield, which is like a three-foot wide rubbery sheet, and it goes from the edge of the roof right up over the exterior wall and on up into the roof because it protects that area at the roof line, the roof edge, from ice dams where the water's going to back up. It can't get through that sheet even if it gets through the shingles. So even though, as you say, Leslie, he's seeing icicles and, and ice in the gutters and you worry about them collapsing, you're absolutely right. It is the least of your problems. But having said that, if they're weak gutters and what's happening is the nails are pulling out, pull those gutter spikes out and replace them with gutter bolts. They're like a long lag bolt, and they're much more effective and secure at holding those gutters in place uh, than the spikes that were originally installed. I, I did that at my mom's house, and I just noticed one day that they were all starting to sag. And I put I was actually short on bolts. So I put every other one. <laughs> works perfectly. I mean, seriously, John, you called about an icicle and a gutter issue and <laughs> you've got a lot more on your plate, but it's all good to know and definitely stuff worth taking care of. It's going to save you from a lot of problems in the long run. You've been listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. We so appreciate you spending part of your day with us. Remember, you can reach us 24-7 at 1-888-MONEYPIT. The nice thing about our phone system is that your call will be answered by somebody on our team anytime of the day or night. And if we are not in the studio, we promise we will call you back the next time we are. But until then, I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Live in a body pit.